0: Well, if you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We are going to be in chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. What what, uh, Paul the Apostle has been talking about to the church in Corinth is he's been spending quite a lot of time... uh, in dealing with the liberties that we have in Christ. And praise the Lord, we have liberty in Jesus. Amen? You know, in the Old Testament, when you go back and you read, in fact, in my devotions, I've been reading through the books of the law. And you see how scrupulous they were with every single little detail. And man... After a while, it's like, you know, you start reading through Leviticus and you get halfway through a chapter and you, oh, wait, what ha- you know, like there's just so much that you have to pay close attention to. It's just detail after detail after detail. But thank the Lord we're free from that. We don't have to do that. We don't have those, those shadows. But as we look back at that, you know what we see? We see pictures of Jesus, don't we? We see Jesus in every one of those details, and when we understand that, those details become a lot more interesting. But we as Christians, what do we do with this great liberty we have? We're free. We can eat bacon. Praise the Lord. I love bacon. We we don't have dietary restrictions. We don't have a a, a centralized place of worship. God says now that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that the the God, the creator of the universe, think about this, dwells in you. It blows my mind that God dwells in me? Me? What? (laughs) But He does. We are God's temple. And last time um, we were in 1 Corinthians, we talked a little bit about um, the design of God and the wisdom of God in that, that, that in the Old Testament, God was making a special people for himself through Israel and he localized them in the land of Canaan in Israel and, and, and he made a place of worship that they had to go to and it was all to preserve the line of the Messiah, it was all to preserve the word of God, it was all to show the holiness of God and how we must approach him. But now that Christ has come, the fulfillment of all those shadows that, that, that uh, were given in Israel and through the law, we're now free from that. And now instead of being a people that was like Israel where they were a come see testimony of God, that is the nations, if they wanted to see and know the true and living God, they had to go to Israel to see them. And we see that as the Queen of Sheba, right? Last week, she came And she saw the blessing of God upon Israel during the reign of Solomon. But now what has Christ called us to do? We're not a come see people. We're a go tell people, aren't we? And so what what do we do when when we're sent to a place where maybe they only have pork to eat? Do we just not eat anymore? No, God has given us liberty from the law and freedom from that. And so uh, these Corinthians, they were misusing their liberty. And that's a, that's a thing we all must fight because our flesh wants to take the liberties and the freedoms in Christ and misuse them. Have you experienced that in your life? Man, it brings me back to Jeremiah seventeen nine. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? That our flesh can take these beautiful, wonderful liberties that we have in Jesus and use them for corrupt purposes. And that was happening in Corinth. And so Paul deals with, um, towards the, uh, in, really in the beginning of chapter 9, he, talk, he uses himself as an example as, as how he has these liberties, he has these rights as an apostle, but he doesn't abuse them. And why does he not abuse them? He doesn't abuse them so that the gospel might go forth unhindered. And we can see how the gospel is often hindered in America today. All you have to do is turn on TBN. You ever tuned into Trinity Broadcast Network on TV? And you see the guys in the thousands of dollars suits with these weird, like, ornamental. Gold chairs and they're all talking about how God wants you to be prosperous and the way you can be prosperous is by making me prosperous. They don't say it like that. And people look at that and they go, that's a crock, man. That, that is a joke. And what it does is it hinders the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're abusing the freedom they have in Jesus. And Paul said, I didn't want to do that. When I came, I, I, didn't, I didn't take the food from you guys, that I, I, I had a right to. I came to you as an apostle. I came to you taking the gospel. And, and, it's, and it's right for you to, to share with me in your food as I come and I bring this message, as I live to bring this, the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. He says, do I not have a right like the other apostles to take a, a believing wife Says so at one point, or is it just me and Barnabas who who can't refrain from working? You know, and his whole point is this: is we have the right to do these things, but we don't. Why? So the gospel can go forth. And in verses 19 through 23 of chapter 9, Paul talks about how um, these, these liberties that we have in Christ are really to serve others, not to serve ourselves. But that's what the flesh wants to do. Oh, I'm free. I get to do what I want to do now. But Paul says, "No, I, 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 I use these liberties so that I might become all things to all men, that I might go and reach people with the gospel." in, in the next, um, in, in the last section of uh, uh, chapter nine of 1 Corinthians, in twenty four through twenty seven. He talks about how he goes and he runs the race, how he goes and he competes, how he fights. And in verse 27, if you look there with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says this, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So what does Paul do? He says, you know, I take these liberties and I don't use them as, as an excuse to be lazy. <laughs> I take this freedom that I have in Christ and I fight harder with it. I take these liberties that Jesus has given me in the cross and I use it to live all out for Him. Not to sit back in my... Have you? Isn't it funny how our culture, we, 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 have, we literally have a chair that's called a lazy boy. You know, and you look at any commercial today that's advertising anything, what is it all about? And whatever, whatever the product is, it's all about how easy it is, how, how, how enjoyable it is, how much fun you're going to have, and how much you need it, right? And then next year they come out with the same exact thing and they tweak it a little bit. Nope, that one was obsolete. Now you need this one, right? And that's how they, they're, they're, they're appealing to our desire for ease and comfort. But we know in this life, this is not our home. Amen, Christians? This is not our place of rest. And that's why Paul in Ephesians 6 says, you've got to stand in the power of God and in His might and put on the armor of God. Why? Because you're in a battle. You've got an enemy flinging arrows your way. Bringing thoughts of fear, doubt, shame, lust, guilt. Whatever he can, throw at you, he will. And you need to be fully equipped with the armor of God. And so Paul says, I take these this liberty, this freedom I have in Christ, and I beat my body. <laughs> I, 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 I train myself. In the last phrase, in verse 27, he says, that I myself should... Uh, I, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. And last um, uh, it was a little over a month ago now, but l- let let's look at uh, and read through the first 13 verses of First Corinthians chapter ten. He goes on. He says, "Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drink they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness." Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did in, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so we have these freedoms in Christ, these liberties in Jesus. And Paul says, listen, you can misuse these liberties In such a way that you will disqualify yourself from usefulness in the ministry. From usefulness in the gospel. From usefulness in the fruit of what the gospel brings in this world. You can take these liberties. And how do you do it? Well, he says, remember Israel? Remember how they made the golden calf and began to worship idols? Remember how they went after sexual immorality? Remember how they complained against God? And man, did they complain? That's a sad thing to see. God take a people out of slavery in Egypt. They 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 the the Egyptians experience all these terrible plagues. And the Israelites come through and they're fine. God preserves them. And at one point during the plagues, it says that the Israelites were untouched. And the angel of death comes through, takes all the firstborn of Israel, but all those of Israel who took the blood of the Lamb and put it on their doorposts. They were spared. And then they walk through the Red Sea. Can you imagine that? I mean, I know we have movies now that kind of give us an idea. But I mean, just imagine that. Not only that, it says that the ground was dry. I mean, I'm doing a little bit of digging in our house renovations, and you get a couple feet down, and the ground isn't dry. And I'm not under any sea. But these guys walk through on dry ground, came to the other side. Pharaoh's armies wiped out. They've got a pillar of cloud by day, and fire by night to follow around. God provides miraculously this manna from heaven, and and Moses taps a rock and water comes out of it. But what do they do continually? We want meat. We remember how good it was in Egypt. It wasn't good in Egypt. But that's what the enemy does, doesn't he? When we're serving the Lord and things begin to get difficult, what does he do? Wasn't that sin nice when you were just living for yourself? And you forget completely the pain of the bondage that, that, that your sin brought about. But what happened to these people? They were disqualified from going into the land. God said, no, okay, you don't trust me. You don't go. You don't believe in me. You're not going to enter in the land. And Paul says, listen, I discipline myself that I don't become one of them. What does that mean for us? Well, it means this, that if it can happen to the Apostle Paul and he's worried about it, we need to be concerned about it too. Now, I don't believe what Paul's talking about is losing your salvation here. I don't think he's saying that I, can, uh, I, I, through abusing maybe some of the liberties that I have in Christ, will then become unsaved. However, there are many people who sit in church week after week who prove themselves not to be God's children by their abuse of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul says, listen, I discipline my body. In verse 12, I love verse 12. Look there with me. He says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You ever have a Peter moment in your life? I think you know what I'm talking about, right? With the rooster. Ah, oh, I got this. I'm good. I can stand in my own strength. I'm okay. Oh, man. I blew it again. (laughs) But I was so zealous, Lord. I was so determined. And God says, that's the problem. You're trusting in you. (laughs) That's the issue. You're relying on your strength. That's why I let you fall. God lets us fall. We know this, right? Sometimes the way God disciplines us when we say, I can do it myself, is God says, okay. And he backs off for a moment. And we go, Whoop, right on our face. And, but God's right there. Another instance of Peter. Jesus is walking on the water. That would have been awesome to see. Middle of the storm, Jesus is just walking on top of it, you know. I wonder what that looked like. You know, He's just walking on these huge waves. And they figure out it's him, because Jesus says, don't worry, it's me, it's not a ghost. And Peter says, Lord, if you command me, tell me to come out there. And so Jesus says, okay, come. And he steps out and he starts walking on water, right? And then he looks at the waves, begins to sink. And what does he do? He does exactly what he needed to do. You know, a lot of times we give Peter a hard time. Oh, come on, Pete. Why'd you start looking at the waves, man? You had it all. You were walking on water. You were looking at Jesus. Wa- Come on, man. You know, but I, I, would, I would back off for just a moment. And, and just, let's just admit, we would probably be one of the other 11 still in the boat, wouldn't we? But Peter does exactly what he needs to do when he begins to sink. He cries out to Jesus. And just like God is for us, he was there for Peter then. He grabs his hand, lifts him out. And that is the wonderful thing about stepping out in faith for our Lord. Is that even if we do begin to sink, what do we do? What if I fail, God? What if it doesn't work? What if I step out and trust you, but I everything falls flat? What do I do? You just call out to Jesus. He'll lift you up. <laughs> He'll take you with Him back into the boat. But be careful. Be careful, this verse says. Don't think you can walk on water on your own. Don't think you can stand in this fight by yourself. Don't think that for a moment you can make your own armor. It's got to be the armor of God. So, therefore... Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Have you ever wondered, Lord, why is it that I don't wake up tomorrow not believing in you and not trusting in you? Now, I'm warned by this verse to be careful how I express this, but I can't imagine not trusting in Jesus. But I can't imagine that, and I know I can't imagine that because it's the grace of God that's holding me. But how do I know I'm not going to wake up tomorrow a pagan? Because God is holding me. Because I'm the sheep that is in His hand. And because I'm in His hand, I will never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch me out. Just like Jesus said. And so when we trust in ourselves... The Lord is going to let us fall. But when we trust in Him, and that's what verse 13 says, that no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So what do we do when we are faced with temptation? You cry out to God, Lord, show me the way out. (laughs) There's a door here somewhere. I don't know where it is, but you've made the way out. Help me. And he will. Verse 14 goes on. Therefore, my beloved brethren, or my beloved, sorry, flee from adultery. I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless is not the... is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who, uh, who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or, that, or what is off, offered to idols is anything? Rather... That the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He And so here Paul's first applicational warning to the Corinthians is this. Remember, he had spent some time talking about meat sacrifice to idols. He had talked about your liberty that, you know, yes, you can eat the meat. If you get it, you go, you buy it in the marketplace, and it was sacrificed to Zeus, whoever. And you just buy it, you cook it up, you ask the Lord, Lord, this is yours. I, thank you for this food. Please bless it to my body and help me to use the strength that gives me to glorify you. He said, that's fine. There's no problem with that. But there are some people who, who, who struggle with that because they came out of that idolatry and they were just like, no, man, I don't want any part of that. And Paul said, listen, if, that's, if, if you're conscious of saying that, then don't do it. But don't condemn those who do. <laughs> and here Paul goes a step further. He says, now I want you to be careful here. Because you know how our flesh works. If you give it an inch, it'll take a mile, right? So the temptation would then be, okay, well, we can eat meat, meat sacrificed. Let's just go join in the festivities then. Let's just go take part in the, the parties inside the temple. We can eat the meat after all. And we know it's not a real God. It's not a big deal. It's just meat. So what? Let's go, let's go and, uh, you know, enjoy it. After all, the meat will be fresher if we have it there. You see how we justify things, right? But Paul says this, he says, listen, no. Flee from idolatry. Look at verse 14 again. I want you to notice something. What does he call them? Do Do you see Paul's paternal heart there? Where he says, therefore, my beloved... You know, he doesn't say, therefore, boneheads. Come on, guys, get it together. He's not a coach talking to a team. He's a brother in a family that loves his brothers and sisters in Jesus. He says, I love you guys. You're my beloved. Therefore, flee, run, get away from as fast as you can and as far away from as you can. adultery. get out of there look at verse 15, he goes on, I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. I love what Paul does here. You know, I think it's important, and, and, and as you, you parents well know, that as your kids grow in maturity, that because I said so is not a good answer anymore, right? They want to know why. And when you begin to reason with them, and when you begin to tell them, this is why I tell you not to do this And this is why I tell you to do this. It's for your benefit. It's, it, it's to keep you safe. It's so that, so that you'll be a kind person. <laughs> and then they begin to, oh, okay. And they begin to understand well, there's a purpose behind this. And Paul says, I speak to, to you as wise men. Judge for yourselves. And he, and he says in verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless... Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. And so what does he do? He uses our, our religious observance of communion. He says, think about communion. What are we doing with communion? With that ritual, with with that tradition that Jesus gave us, what what does that mean to us? And communion is a holy time, amen? We know this. It's a serious thing. Paul later talks about communion in the book of um, 1 Corinthians, actually in the next chapter, chapter 11. He talks about how it's such a serious thing that if you misuse it, God will bring down punishment. God will discipline you if you misuse the communion of Jesus Christ. he says, well, what does it mean? It means unity, doesn't it? When you take of the cup, and sometimes it's harder to see because of to, to, to be able to pass out communion to everybody in an efficient way, we have these separate cups. But it's all poured from the same jug, we promise. And the whole idea is, is that it comes from the same thing. It's the same source. It's all a representation of the blood that Jesus Gave and spilt for us. And we are identifying with His death. And the, and the bread is His body and it's the same picture there. That we are all saying, yes, we identify with Jesus Christ. With His death. With His resurrection for us. And so he goes on in verse 18. He says, observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? And he says, remember, Israel did the same thing with their pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament. And in verse 19 he goes on, what what am I saying then? That an idol is anything or or, or what is offered to an idol is anything? No, rather, verse 20, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. And what he's saying is essentially this He's saying, you know, there's really no such thing as a god named Zeus or, or um, Diana, the goddess of, of the Ephesians, or, or, you know, Hermes, or, or whatever god they may have been worshiping. That they're not real. It's not true, and their sacrifice of that meat really means nothing in the end. But what they are doing is this, is there's a very real spiritual side at work behind the scenes. It's demonic. The, the God of this age is deceiving these people to get them to worship these worthless idols. And the whole point is to turn them away from the worship of the true and living God. And so, in a sense, they're really worshiping demons. And he says, listen, you shouldn't have part in that. You shouldn't take part in the worship of of these false gods who aren't gods at all. That is a demonic and pagan religion. And you being one with Christ should not be joined with demons. Verse 21, he says, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? When we ask ourselves how this applies to us, obviously we don't have a bunch of different temples (laughs) to different gods at least it's not as apparent as it was in their day. And we as believers, we don't, you know, set up little figurines that we pray to. Some people who call themselves Christians do. And that's a sad thing, isn't it? When they've fallen so far from God's word that they blatantly ignore it and worship idols like that. But we, even we as believers, we have a very real battle against idolatry. We know this. It's a very real battle against idolatry. Because idolatry is not just a figurine. That's just the symbol of what's really going on in their heart. Idolatry, just like adultery. Remember when Jesus said that if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery with her in your heart? Well, we as Christians, we struggle with adultery and idolatry in our heart as well. And what is idolatry in our heart? What is the setting up of an idol in the Christian's life? Well, very simply, it's to put anything which is not for God's glory into our lives. It's to bring anything into our lives and to pursue anything which isn't ultimately for the glory of God. I would say the main way that we see idolatry in the church today is by people who come to church week in and week out and they go out into the world and they live just like the rest of the world. They may talk a little cleaner. They may make a few decisions that are different. But by and large, the great temptation that we will face is to engage in the world's system in the world's lifestyle, and in the pursuits of the world. And that means this, that our job can become an idol, that our careers, that our hobbies, that our, even our families, even, lest you think pastors are exempt from this, even the ministry can become an idolatrous thing when we begin to do it for the wrong reasons. When we begin to think, oh, it's really more about people than the glory of God. It's about making people happy. No, that's not it. When it's about growing a big church, no, that's not it. It's about the glory of God. That's what everything boils down to. At the end, in verse 22, Paul says, Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? You know, and, um, in America, because we like to be comfortable, we like to make ourselves a comfortable God. And we like to think to ourselves that, that, that God never really gets angry. He just kind of gets disappointed and, oh, man. But, you know, God does get angry. <laughs> and God gets jealous. He's a jealous God. And this is a good thing. It's not a bad thing because it means he loves you. If God cares enough to get angry about something that's taking you away from Him, it means He loves you. Ladies, don't you love it? Don't you love the idea of your husband being jealous for you? Where where when he looks at you, he says, You're mine, and I'm not Sharon? That's a good thing, isn't it? That's a good kind of jealousy. And that's the way God is with us. I bought you. I paid for you. Because I love you. And everything that you're going to try to pursue besides me in this world will bring death and emptiness. And I don't want that for you because I made you for me. That's what God says. And so any idolatrous thing in our life, anything that we would set up that, that, that doesn't Lead us to the Lord that doesn't glorify God. Those things quickly become idols. And God is jealous. And He will come. And I have found that in my life, and I know I've heard many testimonies like this, that God is gracious and loving enough that if we're not willing to open our hands, at times He'll have to break a few fingers in a loving way. Because that's the most loving thing he can do, <laughs> is to make us let go of the thing that would kill us. You know, when m- my daughter, uh, little Belle, she started crawling around a lot. Um, Lydia didn't do this, so this was kind of a new experience for us, but she would put everything in her mouth. Everything. I mean, she, we, Kelly and I would joke that we don't have to vacuum the floors anymore, because we just put bell down and she'll go clean up everything for us but it's kind of a scary thought because you track in rocks you track in something that might be sharp and she, she swallows it or hasn't it, it could hurt her or something could be poisonous you know and and so so we're trying to keep her out of the cabinets and all that stuff but I can't tell you how many times I've had to do the fish hook you ever have to do the parent fish hook right you had to stick your finger in and you just try to scoop everything out you can you know <laughs> and it's amazing what they will put in their mouths but I tell you one thing, our little baby, sweet little baby girl, Isabella Kate, she does not like it when I do the fish hook. And sometimes it gags her. <laughs> and she's sitting there, ah, you know, and I'm like, well, I got to get it out, honey. And she doesn't understand, but she'll be mad at me, you know, she, ah, and then she wants to get away, you know. Like, but that's the most loving thing I can do as a father, is to protect her from those things that can harm her. And that's what God will do with us. He loves us. He's jealous for us. And lest we think, well, I'll just outdo the old man. No, we're not stronger than him, as he says in verse 22. He goes on in verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not... Uh, your own, but but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also... Please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And so Paul goes on to really wrap up this this section of of talking about your liberties in Jesus. And again, he states, as he stated earlier in, in verse 23, that all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me but not all things edify. In other words, we're not bound by law anymore. The Christian does not live by do this, don't do this. That is not how we are called to live. And it's important for us to communicate this to the next generation, to our kids. Because if all we do is preach the law, they're going to have a really hard time with grace. In fact, that, that is, very, is very much pastor chuck smith's testimony he grew up in a in a pretty legalistic denomination and when he discovered grace it was like it was revolutionary they started inviting all these um and by pastor chuck i mean pastor chuck smith sorry i didn't really specify that but uh they they, they started uh, um i keep sometimes i forget that uh our pastor is Pastor Chuck too. But uh, um, uh, you know they, they started inviting all these hippies who are drug addicts to church. And that was just never done. Why? Because it's grace. It's not laws. You don't have to do. There's no prerequisite to walking through those doors. And there's no prerequisite to becoming a believer. It's just placing your faith in Jesus Christ. It can happen at any time, in any place, for anybody. There's no limitation. And so Paul says, listen, all things are lawful. Sure, we're not bound by law anymore. But not all things are helpful. And not all things build up. Not all things edify. And he says, listen, this, this, is, this is how you ought to think when, when thinking about exercising your liberties. When thinking about living, he, sa- he says in verse 24, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So again, he reiterates what um, and he tells them to apply it to their life, what he said that he does with his, that I become all things to all men that I might win, win them. I, I become a servant to all. He says, listen, you guys ought to be doing the same thing. You ought to love one another, to, to, to use the freedoms that Christ has given you to serve and love one another. And so in verse 25 he goes on he, 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 and he gets very applicational. He just says, "Hey, you know, eat whatever's sold in the market and don't, don't worry about asking questions. You don't have to be scrupulous about it. You don't have to be like, um, I want to make sure I know what I'm buying. No, just just buy it, man. Just get it. And ask the Lord to bless it, and it's good. You're good. Because the, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. You know, in, in, in 1 Timothy, towards the end of the book, um, it's in the last chapter, Paul tells Timothy to, to, to warn the rich lest they become haughty. And to give to the poor and, and, and to care for those that are less fortunate. But he says, but, but tell them to give thanks to the Lord because he's the one who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And one thing I don't want you to walk away from um, with, after this message is, is the idea that to follow Christ and live for the glory of God means that you can't do anything in which you find pleasure or joy. That is not what the Christian life is about. It's not a hum haul, killjoy existence. God has given us all things richly to enjoy. We are just to enjoy it in Him. So you have a hobby that you enjoy. Hey, find a way. You got two options find a way to enjoy it in the Lord, or maybe it's time to give it up. You got a career? Amen. God's blessed you with that. In your career, glorify God. In your career, seek Him first. In your career, do His will. Make a good testimony for the gospel of Jesus Christ with your life. Make that your pursuit. Not climbing some corporate ladder. Not being successful in the way in which the world uh, paints success. But live for the Lord. And do all things. And ask, you know, if you don't know, I do this all the time. Lord, is this going to glorify you? Is this all right? Is this good? You know, is this going to honor you? And if it's not, Lord, shut it down. Help me to just walk away from it. So whatever it is, do it for the glory of God. The earth is the Lord in all its fullness. He goes on and he gives some more application. Well, what if you're with other people? What if someone else mentions that, hey, this meat was sacrificed to idol? And that's what he, he, he talks about in verse 27. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner... So here's an unbeliever, invites you to dinner. Most likely they're going to have meat that's sacrificed to idols, right? <laughs> and you desire to go eat, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. So it's just eat it, man. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't inquire as to, well, let, hold on here. Just eat it. Just be thankful. It says, but, in verse 28, if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the uh, sake of one who told you and for conscience sake. Uh, for the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. So, so he says, you know, if there's someone, and maybe there's another believer who came with you, or there's someone else, or maybe it was the person who offered it to you, and they said, this was offered to idols. At that point, he says, you know, there, there's a line that's drawn in the sand. And though it's true that, that you could take that home, that very same meat, and cook it up and bless it to the Lord in the privacy of your own home, and it would be good, what, is, what has just happened in that, in that moment? They have just identified that with the worship of a false god. They have just said, this is idolatrous. So whether it's a believer or a non-believer, he said, okay, back away from it. And just make sure they know, I have no part in this. And there are so many applications for us as we live our Christian life. You know, as you're at the workplace and someone's telling jokes and they're funny and you're ha ha ha. And they're good, clean jokes, they start out. Inevitably, someone always ruins it, though, don't they? And they tell that dirty joke. At that moment, they draw that line in the sand. What do you do? You back away. That's not funny, man. That doesn't honor the Lord. You know, and and, and maybe you won't be able to say anything. Maybe it's just uh, you walk away with a straight face and you leave. But you make known... I have no part in that. That is not honor God. That is serving something that does not glorify Him. So don't don't eat for conscience' sake. In verse 29, he says, Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty, and he poses two questions here. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? And these are two questions, right? Because we have rights. We have freedoms in Christ. And our tendency would be to say, well, no, I have a right to do what I want to do. And that's what he says. Why am I judged by this other guy's conscience? That ain't, that's not right. Why am I spoken ill of because of someone else saying something that I did was wrong, but, but it's not? Why, why am I slandered for that? Paul's response is, therefore, whether you eat or drink, I love how he answers this, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. What Paul's saying is this, is he's saying, don't use your liberties just because you can. Use them for the glory of God. God has given you liberties to exercise, not just so you can do what you want, and we as, we as Americans, we're very big on our rights, and I think as American citizens, we should fight for the constitutional rights that we have, but as Christians, we need to be very careful to use our liberties, not for ourselves, but for the glory of God. And so, so Paul says, hey, those two questions are answered with one statement, that you just need to do what glorifies God. Not what you deserve, not what you think you have the right to do, but what glorifies God. Verse 32, he goes on, give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. I love that. He, he, just, he, just, he just covers the, um, the whole plethora of, of, of human beings. To the Jews, the people of God who had now rejected him and who were very caught in their legalism. To the Greeks, and that's a, really a euphemism for the rest of the world all of the Gentile world, or to the church of God. So don't offend your brothers in Christ, don't offend pagans, and don't offend Jews, unless it's with the gospel for the glory of God. (laughs) In verse 33 he goes on, Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Paul's pursuit again this whole time has been the salvation of the lost. And then he says in verse 1 of chapter 11, and we'll stop here, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. You know, last week, um, Pastor Dave took us to Philippians chapter 2. And in that passage, it talks about how Christ emptied himself and became a man and a servant to all. And became obedient even to the point of the death on the cross. But I want you to think for a moment because for me, this, this completely cleans out all thoughts of, well, I deserve this when I think about Jesus. First of all, Paul's a good example for us. He didn't get married again. And he didn't take food. He didn't take money. And he worked himself to the bone for the gospel, for the glory of God. But even Paul says, "Imitate me." But but remember, there, there's a greater source beyond me, and it's Christ. And what did Jesus do when they came for him in the garden? And Peter took out his sword, and he whacks off Malchus's ear. That wasn't on purpose. We know that he was going for the head. He just missed. And Jesus takes the ear, he puts it back on, he heals him, and he tells Peter, "Put that thing away, man." Don't you know I don't need that? I've got 12 legions of angels at my beck and call. If I would just say the word, they're here. The Father would give them. And Jesus didn't say it in a way that, like, um, it's a possibility, maybe. He said, if I ask, it'll come. You remember what Jesus said so often. You see it the most in the Gospel of John. He said, everything I do. That I I don't do anything of myself. I only do what the Father shows me to do. I only do His will. And if Jesus came, the God of our, the creator of our universe came down and became a man and gave up all of His rights and His, His freedoms and His power as God. He laid them aside, as it says in Philippians 2, He emptied Himself became obedient to the point of death on the cross how much more should we lay down the rights that listen friends we don't deserve these rights were not bought by us they were bought by the blood of jesus amen and so god says hey i've given you these freedoms i want you to use them for my glory now so that other people can have the same freedom as you and so that one day We can enjoy them without the flesh, without temptation, in the presence, and the fullness of the presence of God. And we can experience true and full and everlasting freedom and liberty because of what Jesus did for us. I can't wait for that day. Amen. And as we close, I, I, I want to say this, because this thought convicts me greatly, and I, and, but it encourages me and it exhorts me too, and I pray it does the same for you, that we can spend our life for this world and we will be like that servant Jesus described who took his talent and he buried it in the ground. We can waste our life here. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to stand before Jesus and look back at my life and see, everything was just wasted. I don't want that. And I know you don't either. I know you got the Spirit of God in you. And you want to live for Christ. I want to make my life count for Him. And I don't know how it's going to look. But I, I just want Him to be glorified. Amen? Amen? So in whatever we do, Do all for the glory of God. Would you stand and pray with me as the worship band comes up? Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we want to give you glory. Because, Lord, one day every creature will give you glory whether they want to or not. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so, Lord, we give it to you now. And we ask that you would be glorified in our lives and in our hearts now. We pray that you would help us to live for you and that you would be honored. And Lord, as we sing this last song, may it just may it be a response of worship and of surrender to you, Lord. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you so much for the cross. And in Jesus precious name we pray. Amen.